In the summer of 1998, 11-year-old Ryan Harris enjoyed many things most children her age do. She rode bikes, hung out with her neighbors, and played tag with her friends and siblings while basking in the warm sun beaming over Chicago. But unfortunately, this would be Ryan's last summer alive. And maybe her death would leave more questions than answers. Hello again, it is me, Shayla, and we are here on Mama Joe and Murder. Thank you so much for all the support I have been receiving and all of the people who have helped me get this far, and I just really appreciate it so much. So thank you. Just a few housekeeping items. We still do have that giveaway for a Mama Joe item if you like subscribe and share if you go over to instagram you will see all of the details for that giveaway or you can just email us at mama joe podcast at gmail.com and ask and we'll just get you all the information there um please email us any thoughts comments concerns any pet photos anything like that i still want to see those so thank you um, today, we're also going to talk about the philanthropy, so it's still the same for the month of April, melanin and mental health, and once again, it's just, if you would like to donate or look it up, it's a philanthropy that helps get people of color connected to other mental health professionals of color, and so I thought that was a really good philanthropy to lead with this because, we, as we know, mental health in the black and brown community is not always first priority. So I just wanted to say that about our philanthropy. So lastly, subscribe on all our, all our social medias. Like this episode, please, 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 on any platform that you're on. Or like I said, email us your thoughts, concerns, reviews, any stories you want us to do, anything like that. And again, that email is mamajoepodcast at gmail.com. And thank you so much again for all of your support. Go ahead and like, share, subscribe, whatever it is you do. We are so excited over here and we are just so happy for all of the outpouring of positive support. So thank you again. Um, this episode, episode three, is uh, Ryan Cookie Harris. This is just a pre-trigger alert. This is a story about a murdered child, and if you have a sensitivity to that, then you can just feel free to skip this episode. It will probably be in parts one and two, but I think I'm just gonna go ahead and release part one and two on the same day, so that that Tuesday when you're hearing this, part two will be out as well. Um, but like I said, if you don't want to hear this story, no harm, no foul. Catch up with us in two Tuesdays and um, 
because I do understand it was a hard case for me to research and for me to get into. It took a while for me to muster up the courage enough to read the details and all of that. So if you're sensitive to that, then just feel free to skip this episode. So trigger, 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 trigger. Okay, so let's get into the story. And first, I'm going to tell you, obviously, the story is called Ryan Cookie Harris. She is our victim. It She was not, obviously, the murderer. The murderer is someone else that I'll tell you about later. But I just didn't feel like we should give him any any time or any spotlight or any recognition or anything. I really wanted this to be centered around her and her family because they lost, you know, a, a daughter, a little, a sister. So I just wanted y'all to know that that's why this episode is called Her and it's named, named after the victim in this case. Okay, so let's get into it. Who was Ryan Cookie Harris? Ryan Harris was born on December 14th, 1987 in Cook County, Illinois, which is basically, I just say Chicago. And December 14th, that makes her a Sagittarius. Um, She was first born to her mother, Sabrina Harris. So she was first born out of five. Um, Her mother called her cookie because Ryan loved those butter cookies in the blue tin. Uh, The tin that most of the time there's sewing needles and sewing supplies in there. Like if you have a grandma or somebody or your mom who sews, typically if you open that tin, you won't find cookies, but you'll find sewing materials but sometimes you know if you're if you're lucky you get the cookies and the cookies were really really good but Ryan loved those cookies and so her mom nicknamed her Cookie. Um, She was on the basketball team in her at her school. She liked to ride bikes with her siblings and her neighbor and her neighborhood friends. She was also very protective over her siblings so she was just an all-around big sister. She she liked basketball, she liked to be on a team, you know, she was just a normal 10-year-old girl. Um, Unfortunately, in July of 1998, the 28th of July, Ryan's partially nude beaten body was found in a backyard or a grassy field on some accounts in Inglewood, Illinois, an area near Chicago. She had leaves stuffed up each nostril, and a bloody brick was found near her body. Underwear was also stuffed into her mouth. Now, it's fair to mention that this underwear has never been confirmed or denied that it was her underwear. So, just keep that in mind. Her top and training bra was partially exposed. She had been missing for a day up until that point. Ryan was 10 years old, five months shy of her 11th birthday. So I know a lot of the times people can't really like get a sense of a child's age or development. And since I'm a teacher, I can put it to you like this. If she was 10 years old, she was probably in fifth grade going to sixth grade. She was actually probably in fourth grade going to fifth grade since her birthday is in December. So a fifth grader, okay, that's not even middle school in some areas. So just put that into perspective. This 10-year-old girl was found beaten and we can assume assaulted in an area in a backyard somewhere. And she was 
five months shy of her 11th birthday. Okay, but what happened? How did she end up in this situation? How did she end up back there? Well, the story goes, on Monday, July 27th, 1998, around 3 p.m., it's a hot summer day, there's no school, Ryan and her friend, her girlfriend, decide to take turns riding a bike. And I remember we used to do this because if you only had one bike, you might have to, you know, ride it down to the corner, then ride it back, and then your friend switch. Or maybe you give each other pumps where they um, ride on the handlebars and you give them a pump to wherever they gotta go. And so that's what you did when you only had one bike. So her and her friend were taking turns riding this bike and her friend needed to use the restroom. So she leaves Ryan outside on the street while she goes inside to use the bathroom. She sees Ryan pedaling away towards the area where her body would eventually be found. So she sees her on this blue bike that they're both sharing pedal up the street towards the area where eventually she um, met her demise. Ryan never came back, so the girl either informed a sibling or either some somehow it got back to her caretaker. Now, Ryan and the Harris children were not staying with their mother at this time. I don't know wh- why, but I do know that they were not staying with their, the mother, Sabrina. They were staying with Mrs. Diane Arrington. And on July 27th, Miss Diane Arrington called 911 and reported Ryan is missing. Um, and once again, this was just a friend of Sabrina Harris, Ryan's mom. So they were just kind of, Diane was just kind of housing the children for this time. Ryan disappeared and she was the first one to call, um, 911. And I believe Ryan's grandmother did as well at this time. So while everybody was calling 911, you know how they say, you know, well, give it time, give it time, give it time. Well, the neighborhood was like, no, we're not going to do that. So Diane, all the siblings, all the friends, all the neighborhood people, including this group called the Black Disciples and other members of the community went out looking for Ryan that same afternoon of the 27th. As one team of people were looking in a grassy backyard at a two-story brick home at 6636 South Parnell, they stumbled across the 10-year-old's beaten and bruised body. The blue bike, till this day, has still not been found or located. So from the start, the crime scene was not preserved very well. Um, There had been multiple accounts of people unofficially finding Ryan's body before the group had actually found her. So people had stumbled across her body and just was like, oh, wow, a body here. But this is Chicago. So they're probably like, oh, you know, it's, it's nothing new here. I'm sorry to say if you're from Chicago, I'm so, so sorry. But yeah, y'all living rough up there. Um, But, you know, so she there there had been people finding her body and then finally when the group found her they were like oh here she is but the scene wasn't preserved well because of that reason not only that but once there had once she had been found and there was a hubbub starting to form all the neighbors all the you know everybody wanted to come and see so the police were not able to like block off the area effectively so there was people standing around and you know when people do when they hear sirens and see a commotion so what's so bad about this is though a group of neighbor neighbors and a crowd had formed of other looky-loos and they were just trampling all over the scene and the little girl in a in that crowd heard a man at this time say that's a shame 
I bet whoever did this is standing right out here. And if you're a true crime buff, you know that a lot of the times people say that like suspects will come back to the crime scene just for poops and giggles, you know. So that is pretty, pretty ominous. But eventually, as far as Ryan's cause of death, it, it was never fully, it, it was one of two things they, they came to conclusion of. It was either severe head trauma by the brick or asphyxiation from the underpants that were stuffed down her mouth. So they were stuffed down her throat so much that she couldn't breathe and she effectively like suffocated. But they said that the head trauma from the brick wouldn't have done it alone. So to me, it sounds like it was the asphyxiation based asphyxiation. Basically, she, you know, choked on her tongue or on the underwear. So just keep that in mind as far as the cause of death. Well, now we know the setting of the situation. We know she was found in this backyard. We know she was beaten. We know there was underwear stuffed in her mouth. We know that there was a possible sexual assault of the whole situation. We know that she was on a bike, but the bike was never found. Okay, well, who are the suspects? There were a few suspects in this case initially, but I'm going to give them to you in order of suspicion based off the police department approaching them. Okay, so we're going to go in the order that the police said, you know, by golly, I think we've got them, George. Like, we're going to go with that. So, believe it or not, this case made national news for quite some time. But if you thought, well, I would hope so, an innocent little black girl was snuffed out in a horrific manner. That's not the reason. It's never the reason. This case made headlines because the first two initial suspects of the case were a seven and eight-year-old boy. Boys, I should say. Their names are Romar Gibson and Elijah Henderson. Their names were at the time unknown to the public because of them being underage. But since then, obviously, they've grown up and one of them had gotten into a significant amount of trouble and had a very, very rough record growing up from this stemming from this situation. So Romar and Elijah, I believe Romar was eight and Elijah was seven. And once again, I'm a teacher, so seven and eight year, years old, that's first and second grade. First and second grade, you're learning how to do addition and how to do like digraphs and things like that. So like, sh -ch, you know, the those types of things, you're, you're learning basically phonetics and how to break down words. You're not really capable of like sexually assaulting a 10 year old girl who for the record her mom said that cookie wasn't no punk she could throw down with the best of them and on top of that she was a basketball player and she was 10 years old so how would a seven and eight year old get the better of her in this situation to me it just don't add up but hey but basically they, their names were not released, but the police knew that the boys had seen Ryan that day, as had many people. Many people had seen that they had seen Ryan that day, including her girlfriend that she was riding bikes with. 
So, of course, they said, yeah, we saw her riding on that bike. We wanted to ride on the bike with her or we wanted to ride that bike is what they said. And they questioned. So the police questioned the two boys, but they ended up saying things like, oh, hey, you want to be a good little boy, right? You don't want to lie. And, you know, they're like, no, I don't want to lie. I don't wanna, I'm, I'm a good boy. I'm a good noodle. I don't want to lie. I want to tell the truth. And so they took these two, sev- this seven and eight-year-old, these two second, first and second graders, they took them away from their parents. Their parents had no idea where they were, would not be, could, would not be told where they were. And they took these two boys to McDonald's for Happy Meals and, you know, a little toy. And keep in mind, these are little boys from the projects in Chicago. This is the hood. You know, so if somebody is treating them to McDonald's and a Happy Meal, hey, I mean, what what do you need me to say? But also developmentally, they're seven and eight and they're alone with police officers who are accusing them of murdering, not only murdering, but sexually assaulting and murdering a 10-year-old girl. The math ain't mathin'. But eventually, after the boys got done snotting and crying in the interrogation room, and they finally confessed to murder, you know, now their parents could see them. So what was the confession? The confession went something like this. They saw Ryan on the bike. They wanted to ride the bike. One of the boys hit her in the head with a brick. She fell off the bike. And from there, they go and say, well, we dragged her to the, to the grassy area. And, they, and then we played with her soft, whatever that means. So they're not even developmentally aware to be able to form the we had sex with her or we played with her in this way you could they couldn't say that all they could say is we played with her soft whatever that means so the confession was clearly and utterly coerced and it was illegal beyond recognition because once again seven and eight alone please 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 if you're a minor do not speak to anybody unless you have your parent with you Please, please, please. But eventually, two weeks after Ryan's death, the boys were charged with her murder. Not only were they charged with a murder, they were the youngest murderers, accused murderers of all time. And that's why this case made such a national you know ruckus for so long because it it went for a long time but they were charged with her murder and they were going to be tried as adults you heard that right they were going to try two little black boys as adults because of a confession that they bribed out of them with mcdonald's happy meals and a toy And I just don't understand that. I just don't get it. But eventually, the math did start at math. And because the boys were eventually cleared when the autopsy and Ryan's results finally came back. So they hadn't even finished the autopsy and all of that hadn't been processed. And they was already saying, oh, these two little boys did it. Yep. But I digress. So... The underwear found in Ryan's mouth had male DNA on it, okay? Male 
DNA. And keep in mind, like I said before, that underwear, we don't know if that was hers. But we're, we're assuming. But it had male DNA on it. And due to science and, you know, biology, this cleared these two prepubescent boys because they could not have produced that DNA due to their ages. You don't start doing that until like 11 or 12, to my knowledge. And even if seven and eight year olds, all they're producing is spit. That's it. That that, male DNA. Yeah. Semen. They're not giving you that. Okay. So I don't understand how it just got to this magnitude of labeling these two boys and tarnishing their names because this is worse than bad credit. This is worse than a felony. This is worse than any, you know, white collar crime or whatever the situation could be. This is murder, murder with a sexual component to it. As soon as you label somebody a sexual murderer, You've ruined their lives effectively. These boys' lives were ruined within the first decade, less than the first decade of their lives. But now that I'm off my tangent and I've calmed back down, where were we? Okay, the boys were eventually cleared because of science. And even though this was the case, Many officers who still, who initially believed that the boys did it, still said, nope, they did it. They did it. It doesn't matter that they're seven and eight and they couldn't produce it. I don't know how that that semen got there, but these two boys did it. And, you know, that has a lot to do with pride and just people not wanting to admit when they're wrong. Um, But the boys did sue each one and they each won a settlement. It was a good little chunk of change. I don't know how much anymore. I had it written down somewhere, but it was like millions up, you know, something. Obviously, it's not going to erase what they've been through, what they, that, how it tarnished their name. It's not going to replace that. So it wasn't enough for that. But, you know, they, they ended up getting a lawsuit and a settlement. Um, Romar Gibson specifically had a hard time growing up after that. And I mentioned that earlier. He ended up having a very long record that included a double shooting, a theft, aggravated robbery, and cruelty to animals. In 2004, he accidentally shot someone, but because of his previous record that I just listed, they ended up charging him as an adult at 15. So he was eight years old, and at 15, they're going to try him as an adult now. I, oh, it, it doesn't make sense to me. What is that, six, six years? I don't know. I'm not a math teacher. But you said he was, was going to be tried as an adult at eight. Okay, well, we couldn't get him there, but we're definitely going to get him with try him as an adult at 15. Like, where is the compassion? Where is the, hey, you've been through a lot. Let's get you some counseling. Let's get you some resources to help you deal with what you had to go through. Because no matter what, you have to think, like, what they went through was hard, but life was already hard enough for them. Yeah. Why continue to add on to somebody's, that's like kicking a dog when they're down. Like, why, why, I just don't get that. But once again, let me, let me bring it back down. Let me bring it back down. So. But I'm not the only one that was outcried or I should say 
enraged by this because people felt like society had labeled Romar a danger before he even turned 10 years old due to Ryan's murder. And this is something called the Pygmalion effect. By definition, it is a psychological phenomenon that describes how expectations can modify behavior. It provides evidence for the self-fulfilling prophecy, which is based on the idea that others' beliefs about us become true because their belief impacts how we behave. Basically, you tell someone for so long that they aren't worth anything and have low expectations for them, then that's what they start to believe. And I think that that was very much the case with both boys, but none more so than Romar. But back to Ryan, because that is who this story truly is about. And once they didn't have Romar and Elijah to blame for this case, their many murderers were not, you know, going to be able to be tied to this situation. They figured it was better to chase after their second lead. And our second suspect, Floyd Durr, or Pretty Boy Floyd as they called him. But that is where we are going to stop for today. That is part one of Ryan Harris. So just so you remember, part two is going to be released with this very episode. So you don't have to wait. You can listen to part two now. If you enjoyed this, please like, subscribe, and share. Please, please, please don't forget to email us, like us on Instagram, TikTok, enter in for the giveaway of the item. Um, Thank you so much for sticking it out with me and rocking with me. I hope that I'm adding something to your day, your journey, your commute, your sitting at home in the office, whatever you got to do. Thank you so much for letting me um, be with you in this moment. So I appreciate you. Um, Thank you again. We will talk to you soon for part two. This is Shayla. I love you, mermaids. Bye. Bye.